Hi, welcome to another episode of What Are We Doing? A podcast from The Highlander. Mike Baker with The Highlander, and I'm sitting down this morning with Mike Lang, who is running for the mayor position in Algonquin Highlands in the upcoming municipal election next month. We're going to be talking to Mike about his reasons for running, looking at some of the issues that are facing Algonquin Highlands as a community, and then also touching on some hot-button topics that are... uh, Facing Halliburton County, such as housing, such as poverty, such as transportation, you know, these aren't, uh, you know, issues that's, uh, that are new. These are things that we've been dealing with for, for a long time. So, yeah, going to be going to be looking for some ways that we, we can tr- maybe try to address these both, uh, you know, at the grass- grassroots level in Algonquin Highlands and then maybe at the upper tier county level as well. So uh, thank you for joining me today, Mike. Thank you. Perfect. Okay, so we'll start off with some more, um, yeah, some more, more questions about you. So, um, yeah, we'll start off with, give us a bit of a background about your history, your ties to Halliburton County. Okay, um, I've been a property owner since 2011. Um, I was heavily involved in the G7, or sorry, the G8, G20 in, in Huntsville, and I was coming up here regularly, and mm-hmm. I fell in love with the area when I was coming through. I always came up 35, never the 400, so yeah. 35 is much, much nicer. So, I like the area, and... As soon as the event was over, we looked for a property and we purchased, okay. planning for staying for quite a while. All right. So, you know, what can you tell us about your, you know, time spent in the community so far? Are you sort of splitting time with another community or? Uh, I'm partly, I'm in Toronto, partly here. I'm waiting until I can retire. Okay. That's the magic day is, um, well, I can go anytime now, but um, I plan on retiring in November. Okay. So as soon as I can retire, then the whole world opens up. The, the, the obligation of the um, previous job is out of the way. Mm-hmm. So I plan on spending quite a bit more time in the area. Okay. So again, tell us about your professional background. Um, I've been a public servant with um, the federal government for 33 years. Um, I started out with the Department of Communications, it morphed into Industry Canada, and then recently with the Liberals, it turned into Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada. Always have the name change. Same job, but different names. Okay. And um, I'm in charge of the field services for the Toronto area. So we enforce the Radio Communication Act, um, Broadcast Act, Telecommunications Act. Mm-hmm. So quite a bit of policy work, quite a bit of enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the past 20 years. Okay. I was heavily so, involved in quite a few major projects. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to 2002, um, remember SARS, the, um, the original SARS? Yeah. <laughs> um, they had that big um, concert down down at Downsview. Mm. That was took quite a bit of planning. The Pope came in the World Youth Day. That was three days of making sure we got everything right for them. And then the G7, G8, or sorry, G, I always call it G7, the G8, the G8, G20 in Huntsville. That took three or four years of planning as well. And then the Pan Am Games mm. in 2015. So I've had quite a few major projects under my belt. Okay. And again, quite familiar with legislation, quite familiar with um, policies, procedures, and the logic required to enforce and to read it and actually make quality yeah. um, legislation. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, obviously, no, no stranger to the political arena. I mean, spent say, you know, uh, such a such such a long time working with the federal government. Okay, so you know, what, why don't you tell us about you know the skills that you know you feel that you've developed over the years that uh, you know would lend itself well to potentially become a mayor of Algonquin Highlands? Uh, the first skill is basically I listen well. Um, I deal with the public quite regularly. They um, always have issues, um, and our goal is to educate them. So it's a matter of listening to the people, finding out what's the issue, and offering solutions for them. Mm-hmm. And so the first step is listening. You can't be bullheaded and just run and say, this is the only way to do it. You have to listen to them and say, okay, this is the best course of action, and you have to get them on side. So it's consensus building. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to talk to people. 
all the time. And just, again, if you get everyone on side, things are easy. Yeah. When everyone is against it, well, it's either a bad idea or you didn't do your due diligence in the beginning. So it's a matter of educating people to um, what and how and why. And transparency, I fully believe in quality transparency. The government um, has that. Um, I've done quite a bit with, um, they're called ATIPS, Access to Information, mm. where people submit requests. So you learn how to make sure that everything is above board and proper so that when people are looking for information, they can find it. Because mm -hmm. again, it's all about, as long as people know, they're happy. It's when they don't know and think something's going on in the background that they get upset. But if all the information is present and you've done your due diligence ahead of time, people are very accepting. So have you ever run for municipal office before? No, I'm not. No. So what's uh, what inspired you know this latest run? Um, you know, not only to come in and become a member of council at Algonquin Highlands, but to you know go that extra step and uh, and run for mayor. Um, the Shoreline Bylaw was a huge effort. Um, they keep on bringing up the fact they spent five years and, or multiple years doing this and lots of money, and they didn't recognize that it wasn't necessary and it was a bad idea in the first place. So they. Um, they kept on throwing money and time after something that was not necessary, not required. And the only reason they passed it is the reason they gave them. We spent so much time on it. I mean, they, they double down and triple down instead of stepping back and saying, okay, what is the result? What are we looking for? How do we get there? And again, there was no um, transparency in the process or no apparent transparency. Mm -hmm. They um, kept things close to their chest. They didn't listen to the people who were bringing up ideas. And... Again, the shoreline bylaw is very, it's just a bureaucratic exercise, that's all, there's no, um, we'll, get, we'll discuss it later, of course, but that was the primary issue, and the other one is, um, when you step back and start watching over, over 10 years, you're saying, why are they doing this, why are they doing that, why aren't they focusing on this, and I want to be part of the more part of the community, so I decided to run for council, because I, I think I can step up and do a good job doing it, okay. so and the reason I chose mayor is that's the only way to get on the Halliburton Council. Okay. So you have to make sure if that's what you want to do, that's where you have to go. Because, again, the council is stepping way beyond their um, given authority. Yeah. Again, going back to the shoreline bylaw, they were doing, um, they spent five years on something they had no authority to actually enforce until the lower tiers delegated that authority to them. So, I mean, you're spending all this time and money on something that you don't really have primary authority over. And why? Why not get the lower tiers to do it and bring it up? So there's a process that you stay in your lane, do the things the upper tier should be doing, lower tier should be doing what they're doing, and that's how you save money and get good services. So we, we, again, we will expand on the shoreline preservation points uh, a little later on. Just wanted to touch on you know a comment you made there. You know there was several other things that you've looked at, seen that council have done that perhaps they shouldn't, or areas that they haven't addressed that they should. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what what your other priorities would be? Um, you know, if you are successful in this uh, upcoming election, uh, the priorities of any uh, municipal government is the first line of government that people see. It affects your everyday life. Um, you look for the core services that you're looking for. That's what the uh, municipality has to cover. That's basically the infrastructure, roads, parks and rec, um, garbage removal, in larger municipalities, water, um, waste, things like that. Make sure that those are covered because those are quality of life issues. As long as they're covered, you can start moving on to the secondary issues. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the municipal government is the one that sets the tone. Um, yeah. Going with the other thing, the municipal governments cannot create jobs, but they can definitely kill jobs. Mm -hmm. And so you have to take the um, attitude of how do we bring jobs here? 
how do we get people to stay here and what do they need? That's a quality of life issue as well because you can't, if you can't, if you have to commute three hours, people aren't going to want to do that. So um, those are the first things. Look at those and focus on the people. The government is elected by the people. Focus on the people and then you can start moving on to the bigger items. But when the people are satisfied and they're content, that's the first primary, primary goal. Okay. Because they elect everyone. It's their choice. So moving on now to, to some of these hot button topics, and I think the, the the number one that myself, Sam, and Lisa really identified as being you know a, a real hindrance, I think, to the growth of, of Halliburton County in general is the lack of not only affordable but available uh, housing. You know, long time residents we find are being sort of forced out of the community, and, and and it's becoming increasingly difficult to to attract working professionals to to relocate here. What ideas or solutions, you know, do you have, you know, to combat this problem, uh, you know, to bring about change, you know, at, at the municipal level in Algonquin Highlands? Um, everything's interrelated. So, if you affect, uh, touch something here, it affects something there. So you have to look at the bigger picture. And it's interesting we're talking about the housing. Um, I did a deep dive on the census information, and from 2011 to 2021. Um, StatsCan keeps the count of the number of dwellings, and they define dwelling as place, heat, bedroom, place where people live. Mm -hmm. That's part of the census. In 2011, it was a high of uh, 3,800, almost 3,900, and 2021, it dropped down to 3,300. So we lost in 10 years, or sorry, that's 10 years, they lost five, over 500 dwellings. And we're talking about affordable housing. Why are people destroying houses instead of keeping them, making them, using them for, well, for housing? Mm -hmm. Instead, they're being torn down. They just disappeared. So why? We have to look at that. And when housing disappears and it's difficult to start creating more housing, that's what, that creates a shortage. Mm -hmm. Supply and demand. Less demand, uh, sorry, high demand. No people are buying it as um, investments. So that's taking it off the market. The short-term rentals are killing the long-term rentals. So again, reducing, you're taking out the supply, which increases demand. And you have to allow some development. Mm -hmm. The um, Bill 109 from the province is trying to bring in change for development to make it easier. Um, Algonquin Highlands official plan was last touched in 2018, so the five-year review would be 2023, so that would be um, looked at again in the new session. So we have to look at the official plan, because when you look at it, they only want growth around the major um, residential areas, which in Algonquin Highlands are Carnarvon, mm -hmm. Dorset, and Oxton Lake. So. Um, that leaves the entire 35 corridor where they don't want any development. So that's a prime location for being able to put in some affordable housing mm -hmm. because it's away from the lakes. Um, it's not as environmentally sensitive as um, closer to the lakes and it's readily accessible to the highway, um, services, hydro, heat. You can, we have to look at options, look outside the box. Mm -hmm. and. Again, the, the current council's had 12 years to deal with it. As you said in the beginning, it's current. Nothing's changed. Mm -hmm. And why has nothing changed? Because you've got to step outside, see it from the outside. What can we change? And look at that, that issue that is, not the issue, but look at that solution that seems so far-fetched that well, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. Instead of finding no, let's find yes. Because everything is possible. Yes, when you look at everything, it's like, no, that's really too far-fetched. Mm -hmm. Then it's, um, that, that's not a good idea. But what if... I mean, you've got to look at the, every idea and before you say no, because everything's a possibility. Okay. And sort of, you know, again, because you are running for that mayor position, you would have a seat on, on county council. 
you know, you look at projects that have sort of come down the pipeline within the county. I know there's been sort of different partnerships with the uh, Halliburton Quartz Lakes Housing Corporation. Uh, you know, there's been uh, there's actually a ten year plan I think in place uh, between those organizations to bring um, I guess over a thousand new homes online uh, over the next sort of five five to six year period. I mean, where do you see? Developments like that happening. I mean, I know there's, you know, there's, there's, there's talks in, 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 in between, you know, the, a private sort of organ operation they have with uh, places for people. But um, yeah, how would you, how would you go about maybe fostering those talks at, at the county level with with other entities to to bring more affordable housing to the county? Again, you have to go look at yes. Why not? Why are we saying no? Um, Algonquin Highlands seems to want to prevent development. Um, whenever you try to get a permit, it's red tape. The bureaucrats have a checklist that has to go through this, has to meet the official plan. And the official plan was only counting for a growth of 500 people over the next, uh, by 2030, they said they want a growth of 500 people. Well, they've already exceeded that because of COVID. So obviously we've got to change the official plan. Mm -hmm. And we have to look at the, um, the tools available to increase the development. Um, right now, it's about getting shovels under the ground. Um, we can do all the planning and all of the the, the the posturing that we want. And if we can't get the shovels in the ground, those houses will never be built. Mm -hmm. um, I look at Algonquin Highlands. I mean, right now, if you want to put affordable housing into Algonquin Highlands, it, at the earliest, it's three or four years away because of the um, other changes that have to be made. Mm -hmm. And that, that's not going to help us now. As for the county, well, um, like I said, when you're looking at splitting land, um, the levels of approval you have to go to to get a, a subdivision put in, it's, um, it has a lot of delay. And they're just, it's a level of bureaucracy. Make the rules set. You meet these conditions, we can get you in a week. Why, why do we have to start going through? And if it meets this, 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 and this, it should be good to go. Mm -hmm. so. What's your position on, on tiny homes? I mean, that's been a solution that some municipalities across Canada are starting to, to adopt more and more. Uh, each sort of lower level municipality in, in Halliburton County right now does have, you know, minimum requirements for, for new builds. Uh, yeah, so I mean, what, what's your take on, on that potentially creative solution to, uh, to our problem? Tiny homes, they don't work for families, they work for individuals. Um, I mean, people need space. And it all depends on what you mean a tiny home. My son lived in a 700 square foot condo. To me, that was tiny, mm -hmm. and one bedroom. So, I mean, if you're looking at 400, 500 um, to get all the facilities in there, it may be a good short-term rental prospect for bringing in labor for the summer. So that's a solution for that. Um, the thing to keep in mind is you have to have septics and wells. They have to be separated by a minimum distance. So how do you get the, the, the property to a certain size? Um, if you are able to put it on larger properties as a second, um, second structure, you may be able to feed into the existing well, uh, but it will still need its own septic. Mm. And right now, those are the things that are, are difficult. Um, I know in Toronto, they have a new thing called a laneway house, where a house, if it's on a public laneway, mm. um, people can put up to, I think it's a thousand square feet of rental housing. And it fits into the, well, they have the sewage and the water, mm. so that's not an issue. But they can put it onto a, um, on an existing laneway. My first house had a laneway, so that would... Um, my garage, I think, would have been bigger than what they're proposing to put up, but that garage could have been turned into rental housing, which that's one less house that yeah. you have to worry about building. Yeah. It's there. 
So I fully, if, if you can put a secondary house on a property, that alleviates a lot of the, um, um, some of the, not a lot, but some of the issues, but it allows people to say, okay, hey, I can put a secondary structure on my property, earn some income, and that helps my um, primary house. And so moving on now to, to, to poverty, I mean, this is something that's been rife in Halliburton County mm-hmm. for, for decades. I think we're one of the, recognized as one of the poorest regions right along with, with Manitoulin Island. Latest data we have suggests at least 17% of, of our population are living in poverty. Once you break that down and look at children, it increases to uh, just, just shy of 25%. What, do you, what work do you think can be done at the, at the municipal level to try and, you know, buck the trend for a problem that seems to be, you know, so entrenched, um, you know, in this community for so long? At the municipal level for Algonquin Highlands, it's jobs. You have, there are minimal opportunities in Algonquin Highlands. There's minimal infrastructure to get the jobs there. So how do we bring the jobs? If all we're saying, well, we got tourism, then well, it's seasonal. So mm-hmm. um, you have so many tourism jobs in winter, so many in the summer. What about long-term jobs, full year that last and offer higher than minimum wage pay? Mm-hmm. That's what you have to bring. Once you start bringing in the jobs, good quality jobs, that'll start digging into the um, the poverty um Statistics. Have you identified any sort of businesses, sectors that you think would be, you know, we could attract up here? Um, it's mostly right now, it looks like, I'll get into it when we start to get into vision, but right now, with the COVID pandemic, um, a lot of people have started working remotely, working, starting up businesses in their house. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly a digital business. If we can start bringing digital, the digital economy into Algonquin Highlands, mm-hmm. um, that will create jobs because people can work out of their homes, they can work... Um, they can work wherever, as long as they have the digital infrastructure to give them the connections, they can start working on that. And the digital economy will bring people out of poverty because it's an opportunity and it does pay better than minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And we've got to train them, of course, but yeah. if you bring the, if you have the digital infrastructure, you can learn, you can do the online courses, you don't have to travel. So it, it brings opportunity. So how, I mean, how do we go about bringing these, these 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 businesses here? You know, do you think there's maybe perks that should be offered at the municipal level, or you know, how how do we go about making as you know an attractive proposition, not just for people to retire, but for people to come here to do business? Um, that has to be looked at at the county level because again, going back to Algonquin Highlands, um, when you look at Algonquin Highlands, um, it has minimal infrastructure, as I said before, so. Um, Anyone who lives there basically has to leave the county to do their basic shopping. Um, there's only one gas station I'm aware of, other than Marinas. They offer gas, but there's one gas station in Dorset. If I want gas, I gotta drive to Minden. So 25 minutes just to get gas. So we need infrastructure. We need to make sure that um, I have what I need within a reasonable drive. Um, people can't keep on traveling for um, what they need. So we gotta bring the businesses there, offer them if it's Maybe it's a um, property tax freeze for uh, uh, so many years so they can actually get the building in, get it up in operation, and then once it's making a profit, then we can start bringing the property tax back. Mm-hmm. So that may take 10 years, and the land is empty, so it's not really, well, there's no services, there's no, gar- there's no waste, oh, sorry, there's no garbage pickup, there's no water, there's no sewage. So all it is is land right now. Mm-hmm. So by putting up a building on that land or allowing it to go up there, you're not losing much property taxes because you're not giving any services in return. So it's just the, the municipality collecting money mm-hmm. on that land. Mm-hmm. So if you say, okay, yeah, bring the business here, property tax free for so many years, they may build a business. Once the structure is there, if it doesn't succeed, well, they can sell it and the next person can try and bring 
that, that, that opportunity in. So it, again, it's outside the box. It's but what will bring people here? Because when you again looking at Algonquin Highlands, um, you have Huntsville to the north, Bracebridge to the east. Oh, sorry, west. Uh, Halliburton to the east, Minden to the south. Mm-hmm. They have full infrastructure. So why is someone going to bring a business to some place that um, can we get a, a 53 foot truck in? So can the road support that? Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, there are very few roads that can support that type of um, truck coming in to deliver goods once, twice a week. Mm-hmm. So we have to be able to support it from that way. So that's the roads that have to be improved as well. So basically it's a clean slate in Algonquin Highlands. We've got to start from scratch and it has the airport area, but nothing, they've had that for 10 years now and it has not taken off. Bad choice of words. It, it hasn't, um, it hasn't developed as they expected. Mm-hmm. So, um, none that you brought up, you know, the Stanhope Municipal Airports, um, you know, what's your vision for, for maybe that site? What would you like to see, you know, done there? You know, there's been plans in the past to, to develop the runway and, and that was shelved. And now there's talks of uh, maybe attracting industry on the land surrounding it. What is your vision for, uh, for, for what that airport could and should be in the future? Well, if industry was coming, it would have come. So right now we're going through a minor hiccup in the economy, so I can't see people expanding to unknown areas, especially when they got the, let's say, Bracebridge and Huntsville right on the Highway 11, easy access. Um, 35 is a little more difficult access, but um, if they were going to build, they would build, like say, if it was one of those offers we can't refuse, they would have built there. And I, no one's built there yet. It, it's just uh, basically an empty field. Now, if we look outside the box, what do we need? I mean, I, I jokingly told someone, why don't we um, build a retirement community there? They have 100 acres. Um, you've heard of Elliott Lake. That's what their whole sole source is. Just, they, they had an idea. Retire here. So, I mean, the province is looking for um, long-term housing. Not long-term housing, but long-term care. Um, seniors need a place to retire. So, hey, we got a huge plot there. You can bring, it'll bring doctors, medical care, it'll bring, kills two birds, a couple birds with one stone there. I mean, we need medical care, there's a place we can put it. Long-term care for the province, maybe there's a subsidy to build something. And we can, people can actually stay closer to where they, um, where they want to be instead of being shipped out. I mean, you saw the new rules um, with, with the long-term care that... Um, if you're in a hospital bed, they can sh- once you're outside um, a certain area, they can ship you 300. I think it's 100 or 300 or 100 kilometers. I can't remember how far from your location. So if you're sitting in a, taking up a bed in Halliburton, you may be going 100 kilometers away to um, a long-term care home. So yeah, that's an option. And again, it's outside the box. We have to look into things, but it's mm-hmm. there's space there. There's facilities, some infrastructure, and. If you got so, if you put it as a retirement community, people would buy in. Again, I'm thinking outside the box. Absolutely. I throw ideas out there. That's all. If you don't say, what about this? You never know. What's your take on you know the county getting more involved with with public transit, public transportation? I mean, with uh, when you look at sort of the, the landscape of Halliburton County now, certainly with costs increasing over the past year, 18 months, there's definitely been a movement of people moving to more rural areas. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have a lot more people on our back roads now for saying, you know, Algonquin Highlands, people looking to, to, to move there as opposed to urban centers in Halliburton or, or Minden. 
how do you think the county could could operate a, a transit service and and do you even think that's that, that that's a feasible option at this time it's not feasible i mean again when i was going through the census data the um, population density for Algonquin highlands is 2.6 people per kilometer um, of course that takes in quite a bit of the park as well so if you take half of that we're looking at five people per kilometer if you mm-hmm. have that in half so for, um, for a transit system to work you need population density mm-hmm. And otherwise, when you look at the cost per ride, I mean, if it, if it's self-funding and costs $100 per person to ride, that'll never work. If that's if it's self-funding. So are we going to subsidize it for $95 per person to get it down to a reasonable $5? I mean, at the moment, it's not feasible. And so when you look at the county has got more involved with, uh, you know, funding pilot projects that have been launched up by community organizations. I'm thinking, you know, point in time here in, in, in town got $20,000 to develop almost like a ride share where, you know, if someone wants to come into Halliburton from, you know, let's say Halls Lake, they would call up and book a ride, so to speak, to come into town. Uh, I know another program is sort of underway with Search Community Services and Fleming Crew, similar idea. Uh, you know, do you think there's potential for, for, for more of, of, of that moving forward as opposed to, like I say, a full-on system operated by the county? Well, that's how I got through the university was through Rideshare, so they put it on the bulletin board, ride going to Toronto. So if we can um, get the ridesharing going, that would be a far more effective way, far less expensive, and it's community-oriented. I mean, you got to know the people in your community, so if you know that someone's continually going to a certain spot and they're willing to share the ride, pay for gas or something mm-hmm. like that, that would work. Um, I've never tried to get an Uber up here, but... Um, I've heard people saying it's rather difficult. So that if private sector won't come here, then it's not feasible to actually uh, make a profit on it. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at sharing the costs to a certain extent. Yeah. The ride share would work fine. Um, you have to get a medium. So how can people do that? Mm-hmm. I think Uber, you know, the, the the big sort of obstacle in that that organization coming up here is is um, you know internet service, cell cell reception. And when you look at Eorn has sort of partnered up now and with Rogers and has made the commitment that by 2025, 99% of, uh, of, of our region rurally will be connected to high-speed uh, cell service. Um, yeah, I mean, do you think that there's a potential future to uh, to ch- chase after Uber and bring them here once, that's, uh, once that comes no, to fruition? I don't think so. Again, there's no demand. The um, You can't have... I, I've only used it once. Um, but um, when I have used it, you could get the Uber there and do the app and it's there in five minutes. I don't think that would happen here because mm-hmm. someone's sitting in Halliburton to pick someone up in Dorset, that's 40 minutes away. Um, again, the logistics, it's just, yeah. it's not um, practical. Mm-hmm. So, but if you have people in, ha- in Dorset saying, okay, I need a lift to go down to Minden for the day. Is anyone going shopping there? Can someone um, help me carpool down? That mm-hmm. may work. Yeah. But again, that's, again, community involvement and the community is taking care of their own. Yeah. So since, uh, you know, we're coming out the other side of COVID now, one of the big things I think that we've seen for, for many businesses is, uh, you know, the help wanted signs that have sprung up. It seems to be a real labor shortage mm-hmm. right now in, in Halliburton County. You know, you sort of touched on this before, but how do we go about restocking that labor pool and, you know, making our community an attractive and, and feasible place for people to, to, to move to, 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 to work? Um, well, we need the housing. If people aren't going to commute. Um, if you don't have the housing, the, the labor shortage is going to be there. If they can't rent, mm-hmm. my son, he just turned 20. He's, he was looking for a job. So he thought, okay, round 
the area for the summer. He could have gotten a summer job here because there's lots of summer jobs. And, um, well, he didn't have a vehicle, so that's another thing. So, But it's just, it's that you need more attractions. You need to, to keep people here. How do you keep people here so that they're, um, okay, I work eight to five or eight hours a day. What do I do for the other 16 hours a day? Um, I need something to keep me busy. Um, okay, but it takes me two hours to go into Menden to, or go to the theater in Kenmount. How do I get there? Mm-hmm. I need a vehicle, need access. So how do I get there? And again, it, there's more to work than just, like I said, you have eight hours of work, but what do you do for the other 16 hours? Where do I sleep? Where do I get my um, supplies? And we got to take that into account. And if you make it so that everything is easy to get, um, people can entertain themselves after hours, um, more people will come up here and more people will take advantage of the um, opportunities to work here. Mm-hmm. Because there, there are opportunities. Yeah. It's just that, okay, if I'm going to make minimum wage for the summer, but it's going to cost me twice the minimum wage to rent a place, um, it doesn't make any economic sense. So why would I come here? Yeah, that's and, and that's I think, is the big issue that, that a lot of people are dealing with is... Um, Again, where do you find those 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 workers to fill the seasonal jobs to fill the minimum uh, minimum wage it's jobs? It's all about students. Students, that's where they've come in the past. Um, yeah. Students, retirees, that's well, that's what minimum wage was for. But um, I see students going to the bigger towns mm-hmm. and getting more. I, I won't say practical because every job is practical, but they're looking for career opportunities and starting to build a career. Mm-hmm. And if they have an opportunity that may have a better career path, they may choose that instead of um, staying around and just um, working that part-time job. When we, we, when we talk about students, we, you know, we've got the Halliburton School of Art and Design here in Halliburton County. I mean, I feel like that, since that institution came in, that's really helped to sort of foster and, and prop up the, the, the arts community. Do you think there's maybe potential to... Um, yeah, I mean, reach out to, to Fleming, have conversations, see if there's an opportunity to, to expand their programming to, you know, attract different interests, different programs uh, to the county that could lead to, you know, full-time jobs uh, staying here. That's for the county to talk with because it, it would really help Halliburton because that's where I mean, students usually stay close to where they go to school. So I, someone commuting from Algonquin Highlands to go to the school that's that's a long commute so uh, again they have the opportunity to we have to teach we have to gain give the skills for um, people to learn so that they can participate mm-hmm. and there there's always downtime so we can utilize that opportunity to get give life skills as well for, for their first job second job to get the career path started mm-hmm. and it's an ongoing process but yeah, if they, the more skills they can offer, if they can bring in trades, that would be great. I'm not sure what the demand would be, but um, if there's a class, I, I don't know what the minimum class size that they would need, but if you can get class sizes of 10 to 20 for particular skills, particular um, trades, um, I don't see why they wouldn't consider it, but it has to be perpetual. I mean, you want 10 to 20 a year in perpetuity. Perfect. So again, it would be selling, to, you'd have to be doing it close to um, where the students are. Because, again, someone on Algonquin Highlands has the opportunity. They can drive down to Barrie. They can drive down that for, um, oh, I forgot the school there. But they have, um, Aurelia has um, that, a college. That Georgian there? Georgian, Georgian, yeah. Georgian has multiple um, multiple outlets in Aurelia and Barrie. So, again, if you can put a um, satellite school there, 
It's an edu- education, mm-hmm. and that's very important. Make it easy for people, and they'll do it. Okay. So bringing back, you know, the labor issues again. You know, when we look at um, look at our hospital sites in particular, there's been uh, you know major issues there finding nurses and finding mm-hmm. physicians to to be able to staff both the, both the hospital in, in Minden and in Halliburton. This has led to Triple HS administration, I think, last November, saying there could be, you know, an eventual shutdown of uh, of ER departments. Um, you know, should staff shortages necessitate that. Fortunately, we haven't seen that come to pass. But just the fact that that you know is sort of lingered over the community's head. Do you think it's time to maybe start to have a conversation about whether or not it's feasible for for our community of our size uh, to to boast two separate hospital sites? Oh. I don't like reduction in services. I mean, it's been there for 20 years. They have, if it wasn't feasible, why do we do it in the apartment? Why do we do it in the first place? Mm-hmm. So reduction in services means cost reduction, staff reduction, service reduction. So I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you're having a heart attack, you want to be as close as possible. And with a more senior community, with the average age is 55 in Halliburton, um, that, that's an issue. You want something close. Um, that's a selling feature for the community. So we want to keep that. It's um, the staffing is well, it's going everywhere. I mean, right now the nurses are burning out, so they're quitting, mm-hmm. and they're the baby boomers are retiring. They don't need to do it anymore, so they're leaving. And there's going to be a the province says they're really pushing for nursing schools to hire. Um, I do know that the um, this whole process, the medical stuff, the, the Lack of service started back in the 90s when the OMA um, reduced the number of doctors going to med school. And again, supply and demand. You reduce the number of doctors, you're going to increase demand. That's why people can't find a, a primary care doctor because they're going to where the money is in, in the bigger towns. Mm-hmm. But if you increase the supply, people will come out and get comfortable. Mm-hmm. So right now they have, uh, the population of Ontario has increased, oh, what? It increases what, one or two percent every year mm-hmm. over the past twenty years. So that's twenty. Let's say twenty percent, twenty five percent. Med school. My daughter's trying to get into med school, so she um, basically you have hundred five thousand applicants for her for hundred spots. So wow. for all these schools, so there's you have qualified candidates mm-hmm. that are capable of doing it, and they're being frozen out because of the bureaucracy. So why can't we have two hundred spots? Like I say, they are. They're going for the 99th percentile for those 100 spots, mm-hmm. and you still got a thousand people that can qualify for that. And let's start making doctors. Um, let's the nurses will come in a couple of years because they've increased the you know, spots, so it's going to be a short term pain. Mm-hmm. And then there will be the services will come back once they start graduating. But um, again, we got to increase the supply, and it was artificially reduced 20 years ago, and we're re- everyone's retiring. So the county does have a program in place, uh, you know, Triple H, I think, has uh, a physician recruitment um, coordinator. I mean, what what's, uh, what work do you think should be done, should be done there? You know, do you think we could maybe do more to attract uh, these healthcare workers to, to, to come here? We have to find out what they want. We can't force people to work here. So is it money? Is that what they want? Um, okay, we give them money, but then they still have to find a place to live. It comes down to housing again. We have to have affordable housing for people to live. A place where they can actually raise children. Um, they don't have to worry about the commute. Um, they got everything they need here. Mm-hmm. If they have to leave the community every time they need something, um, why would they? Why would they stay? Because I got to go grocery shopping. I got to drive forty-five minutes. 
what okay, I'll go live in Huntsville. Um, same same type of environment. It's got the lakes, it's got the trees, but a lot more infrastructure. And what are they? What do people come here look for? Mm-hmm. And if we can really push that and make it so that we have more of it, that would be an ideal solution. But the people who want to come here are a particular group. They have a particular mindset that what they want, and we have to tap into that and find out, and we have to make sure it's available here. Because money doesn't seem to be attracting too many people, because they can get that anywhere. And we're competing with other communities that have the same problem. So we have to make it a very nice place for them to come to, and get rid of the roadblocks, make it so they can, let's find out what their dream is, and let's help them build it here. So this is going to be a dirty word to, to lots of people here in Halliburton County. So I apologize to any uh, listeners that I offend, but uh, you know, let's talk about amalgamation. Where do you stand on, you know, one day the potential merging of the four lower tier communities within Halliburton County coming together to form one single tier government? I am against amalgamation. I have suffered through it once already in Toronto and nothing worked with amalgamation. It, um, on paper, it looks great. We're going to save money. We're going to reduce costs. Um, everything's going to fall into place and be a wonderful. Um, unfortunately, the exact opposite happens in amalgamation. You get the worst of the best. Oh, sorry, not. You get the worst of the worst. You get the lowest common denominator from everything. And services decrease. Um, I was telling someone, I volunteered at a ballpark where I coach. And when it was North York, we had two staff, 8 to 5 and 5 to 11. We have nothing now. We have to do our own groundskeeping. So it's basically, we had quality service back in the 90s to nothing. We do everything ourselves. So that's what happened because of amalgamation. Uh, this other community didn't have staff parks. So that was taken away from us. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you go down to what is the lowest common denominator. And what happens is we think there's going to be a staffing reduction because people can do everything. But what happens is no one... There is no staffing reduction. In fact, there's staffing increase because the managers can only handle two or three people underneath, so you need another supervisor level in between. So staffing levels will increase, and cost-wise, costs will increase. In Toronto, they have the council, the 25-member council that passes all the laws, but they have community councils, so taking place of the previous councils. So you don't lose that either. So what's going to happen here is people will probably follow that model. So people want to put in a subdivision here. So we'll have to go to the community council in Algonquin Highlands and go through the exact same process that we have now that's working. But it'll now have to go through that council. They'll have to approve everything. And then it'll go to um, the, the new Halliburton Council. So it's it's one of those things where like on paper, it looks great. But in reality, all it does is adds another level of bureaucracy because no one gives up anything. Um, just human nature is, oh, well, no one's going to get fired. No one's going to lose their job. Mm. Um, the debt that some um, Algonquin Highlands has is $8 million in reserves. That's gone. It goes into the community pile now, so it's going to pay off someone else's debt. So it's, and then uh, the population of Algonquin Highlands on, when it's wet, is, well, on a good day, is um, 10,000. Census it has a population got it right here to permanent in 2021 had a permanent population of 2,500 and with seasonal that's another I mean the voter there are 8,000 registered voters mm-hmm. so how much representation are we going to get you know, 
Basically, the amalgamation only benefits populated areas. So if you're rural, anything that you've had that was good is gone. Um, the focus will be on the core communities, um, Halliburton and Minden. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look in Toronto, um, every decision is made for the core city of Toronto. Scarborough gets nothing. East York gets nothing. So the, um, the outskirts get nothing where the core is fed, but that's where all the people are going because they, um, they built up the whole community and it's, they're trying to build out instead of building everything. Mm-hmm. So it, you lose services because the, the, where all the population is, they're gaining the services. Mm-hmm. So it'll, how, the town, town of Halliburton, the town of Minden, they'll benefit greatly from it. But um, your Dorset, your rural areas, your well, Fletcher Lake areas, no, people are going to forget about them. Do you think there are certain areas that uh, you know the municipalities could work better together? I know the county sort of kickstarted its service delivery review process. Um, you know, uh, some people have discussed you know waste services maybe coming together. Uh, other people have suggested you know firefighter departments that sort of merging. Have you have you identified any any areas where well, one of the things that I was looking at and saying I know I can do better is when you look at the lower tier and upper tier governments. Halliburton County has has overreached so far, they're doing what the lower tier is doing. Um, the, the, the common, whenever you send an email to um, one of the current counselors, is, oh, we're trying to harmonize services. And I'm thinking, every municipality is different. Why do we want to harmonize services when we have our own unique issues? Why do we want to harmonize with Dysart when Algonquin Highlands has totally different issues and is slightly different? So harmonization doesn't make sense. They're stealthily trying to get amalgamation because, again, there's been apathy in running for council, so people haven't been running. Everyone's been acclaimed for the past 12 years. Um, there's been no reason to discuss this, so they're, they're gradually bringing it together so that it's controlled by Halliburton County Council without the amalgamation. Mm-hmm. And if the Halliburton County actually stayed in their lane and focused on the core, that they're, the core services that they are responsible for, um, it would work very well. Again, looking back, I come from Toronto where they had Metro Toronto, the services. They had the police, fire, ambulance, garbage, um, anything that affected overall services to the, the seven municipalities down there, the upper tier was doing. And that's what has to happen up here. So instead of, like I say, spending five years on a bylaw that they had no authority in the first place to actually enforce until the delegation happens, they could have been focusing on fire. Um, they could have been focusing on the ambulance services. They could have been focusing on, on the garbage. Um, maybe there's a lot potential for garbage collection if they could have, um, again, amalgamated everything. Not, not amalgamated. That's a bad choice of words. If they um, looked at the services that they are responsible for, because the Municipal Act is very clear on who does what. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of controversy, you know, uh, when uh, when Algonquin Hounds made the decision to shut down the, the transfer station up um Hall's Hawk Lake area. Um, That's what, one of my issues. So yeah, let, let, let's talk about that a little bit more and what you see the future of, uh, of, of waste services in Algonquin Highlands uh, moving forward. Um, basically, again, I, I don't like reduction in services. If I've had services for 20 to 25 years um, and you're starting to take that away, um, that's a reduction in services to me. And I've been paying all these taxes for all these years. And basically, in Algonquin Highlands, that's about all you see. That's... That's the face of the township is, what do I get from them? Um, right now it's garbage service. That's what the majority of people get. They dump their garbage once a year. Okay, they go to the building department to get a building permit. Um, what other services do they get? Okay, they use the park every once in a while. 
But other than that, garbage is there first and foremost, and that's being removed. So a, a transfer station is basically just you put it in a bin. Mm-hmm. They take a truck, move it to the to the other dump. Yeah. That's minimal cost. And it's like, okay, we can't afford that. We have $8 million in reserves, and you're saying no to something that would cost, what, if, if anything, for six months, $1,000 a week. That's, that's I'm estimating. I don't know what the actual cost would be. Yeah. But it's just about transferring. It's a transfer station. But again, it offers convenience. It improves the quality of life. Um, it reduces the traffic at the primary dump on Maple Lake. Um, it affects every everyone and improves their quality of life. And they just said no for no apparent reason. Because they had studies that showed it was reasonable. And that that is a very... Um, quite a few people are upset that they said no to it. And... They made the decision without proper planning in place. Um, in Maple Lake, you've heard the stories of what's happening there. Um, they closed the Hawk Lake dump in October 2021, mm-hmm. and they weren't prepared. And they knew about it, mm-hmm. and they still were not prepared. So if they put the transfer station in, in the beginning, most of the issues would not have occurred. So from that perspective, and again, all the other ones, it's, it's convenient. So when the other dumps start reaching their end of life, mm-hmm. I mean, they got to close, but... I and mean, if it's a hectare, you can take an acre of that and make it into a um, a simple transfer station, fences in to keep the bears out, mm-hmm. and just take it and move it to where you need it, like Maple Lake. Yeah. One of the growing issues I think that we've seen sort of, you know, it's bubbled under the surface for a long time in Algonquin Highlands, but started to, to rear its head certainly during COVID is this, you know, almost divide between permanent and, and, and seasonal residents. How, you know, as a member of, uh, of, of a council, how do you go about, you know, bridging that gap and ensuring that, you know, all members of the community, all taxpayers feel that they're being equally represented, um, you know, and, and fairly treated? Yeah. Well, I did a deep dive on the voters list and it's an 80-20 split for Algonquin Highlands. So 80% seasonal and like the number here, using the recent census data. And it's um, basically... The services. I mean, if you offer good service to everyone, regardless of who they are and why, no one complains. Mm-hmm. But when you keep on getting stories, oh, they're just denying me because of this. They're taking the garbage dump out. Um, there's no recreations um, services outside of the core, outside of Stanhope, Dorset, and Oxton. There are no commu- uh, recreation centers. Mm-hmm. Um, getting parking for. Um, on some of the parking areas for, for um, water access only mm-hmm. areas. Um, but again, we're paying taxes for what? I mean, it's a water access only. We know it when we're going there, but it's uh, if you increase the parking in these areas and make it safer, you reduce the accidents, safety vehicles get in easier, um, tourism is increased because people have a place to park to use the snowmobiles and everything in winter. So it's one of those issues. It's it's a win-win because it increases tourism, it increases the econ- economic benefits up here. Um, people have a place that they don't have to park the vehicle so they can they increase the property values for the water access only because they don't have to walk two miles. Mm. Um, that's one of the things. It's like this, the community needs the water access only. People need parking. That is an issue that is being ignored. So don't ignore the issues. Don't address them. Get people on site. Say, okay, how can we solve this? What do we need? And put it on the table and just don't say no. Again, work to yes. So it's a quality, I, I really say quality of life issue because that's what municipal governments are for. 
people come to the municipal government because something that in my day-to-day life is being affected. So the first step is the municipal government. Park, and like I said, water access only is parking. So let's let's address that. Make it some of these other places that lose access to the lake. A water access only losing access. I mean, the Bob's Lake one in Minden was yeah. one of those. The municipality shouldn't mind that. I, I'm talking. It's there's a similar issue happening in the Gunpowder Highlands. But okay, it's our taxpayer base. What does it cost to find a piece of crown land close to and open access so that it's accessible again? That's what we pay the property taxes for, is for solutions like that. Yes, it's a one-time cost, but um, I've been paying $3,000 for 20 years for garbage access. I think there's a little excess in that pile of money there to um, help me maintain access. So like, that's those are the issues. When you start addressing them and people are happy, they don't notice the um, the divide. But when it starts being, oh, no, we can't afford that, that like the, um, the for those water access people, they... We can't do anything for you, sorry. That's where the issues start coming into play. Yeah. You made your fear, feelings, I think, quite clear on the, the shoreline preservation bylaw earlier during this interview. What would you like to have seen done differently? How would you like to have seen sort of council handle that uh, a little differently than they did? Well, first off, um, the municipal pact is very clear that it's a lower tier issue. Um, both the um, the trees and the well, 135 and 140, section 142, are lower tier issues and of the municipal act. Um, the lower tier should have been addressing. Um, each one should have had their own policy, and then once they could have talked amongst themselves and to get that. But each one again is different. The voters want something else. Um, if you read the, the bylaw, it's just a bureaucratic exercise. There are only four measurables that I could get out of the um, out of the current bylaw, and that's the number of permits issued. The, not, the revenue received from the permits, the number of enforcement cases, and the number of fines. That's the only, those are the only measurables from that bylaw. How does that affect lake health? How does that affect the shoreline? There are no measurables. We don't know. So the first thing they should have done is they should have had a, uh, taken baseline measurements, set up a program for baseline measurements. Okay, here's our lake health program. We're going to go measure the lake, uh, uh, the the parameters of these lake health, the the the. the uh, Whatever the levels are that we need, you know, the, how clear they are, what their um, acidity rate is, the phosphorus levels, the calcium levels, all that. Get a baseline saying this is where they are. We have surveys so we can actually judge the um, shoreline. So um, quite a few municipalities use satellite surveys to review um, the area so we can actually go through and get an exact count with the um, satellite um, review to, to actually see what kind of shoreline is affected. So now we have a baseline. And once you have the baseline, how bad is the problem? Because we don't know how bad the problem is right now. It's like all they're saying is, think of the children. We have to save it for the children. And that's an emotional argument. We need a fact-based argument. So in 10 years, what are we going to say? How effective has the shoreline bylaw been? We don't know because it's not measuring anything. It's just measuring, okay, yeah, well, we raise, we get 20 permits a year for this. Okay, but how has that affected lake health? It, it hasn't. And when you read the, the bylaw again, basically, if you have the money and you know the right contacts and you push it through properly, if the, per, if the county says yes, you can do anything you want anyway. So there's no effect. The governments don't have to follow the rules. It's, the bylaw is meant specifically for private ownership. So the salt coming off the road um, on Ox Narrows, you got all the salt and sand coming and set going into the lake because there's no sediment. That's within... 
Um, they're at 60 feet of the um, lake. Township doesn't have to worry about it. They, um, it doesn't apply to them, that bylaw. So when it's rules for thee, not for me, it's, again, it's, it rubs me the wrong way. It's like, okay, I've always thought that if you're making these rules, the government should be held to twice the standard because they got the deep pockets to actually do the studies that they were requesting. So why are you making it so they don't have to do anything? So we have to, if we were to do it again, what I would have done is, again, make the baseline measurements, set up a lake health program. You, you can get volunteers, the lake associations actually do the measurements. We can partner with the um, a Good Summer Job Opportunity, partner with Trent University to get them, or whatever university, the biology programs. Come out, make the measurements, set up the program, and you get continual staffing going through so it's done yearly. And we would have a great baseline measurement, and we could actually say, okay, this lake over here is having problems. Let's start focusing some resources over there. Because the pool itself, the resource pool, is limited. So we got to focus that money on areas that need the, um, the resources. If we um, th throw it out to everyone, well, when we actually need it in this lake over here because it's starting to be affected, then it's not there anymore. And again, the SEPTA program was a good start. Um, we have to make sure we continue with the SEPTA program. Um, that keeps everything up. Um, the, the easiest thing you can do for lake health, again, is runoff. And that's, that was the whole point. Oh, it's protecting the runoff. Yet the, the easiest thing they could have done was ban fertilizer within 100 feet of the um, shoreline. They didn't do that. So people can still put fertilizer, which provides nutrients. And the nutrients is what is bad, uh, creates the algae the excess nutrients, mm -hmm. the phosphorus and everything like that. So it's like, okay, I mean, even in their FAQ, when they uh, put that out, they suggested, one of the suggestions was don't use fertilizers. Mm -hmm. They could have banned it, but they didn't. And that would have been far more effective for shoreline health and lake health than just a bureaucratic exercise. And so the document, you know, was voted in last month. Um, you know, should you be successful in your bid, become you know mayor of Algonquin Highlands, a member of county council, could we expect you to bring this issue up again? Maybe? I, I definitely will. That's that's what people want from me. And the Algonquin Highlands Council last week on delegated authority. So I'll have to. Um, I'm one of five on the council. Hopefully, we have enough people with sensibility to recognize that it's just a bureaucratic exercise and we can undelegate that or repeal the delegation so then it wouldn't be in effect in Algonquin Highlands. And then again, it's a, a matter of persuasion, it's consensus and persuasion building and find out what people want, what the other lower tiers want in it. Because if all, if all they want is bureaucratic exercise and the other thing the bylaw does, it increases the Halliburton County budget by 200,000 a year. And for what? That's not going to lake health. So we have to look at that. That's a tax increase for everyone. So it's a, it's a matter of persuasion going to council and saying, okay, how can we how can we improve this? Why don't we start doing the lake health program first? Spend that two hundred thousand dollars and create a lake health program that others want to follow. So we could be a leader in lake health, and people would come to us and say, okay, how did you do this? And we can demonstrate how we we did that, and that would get our name far better than a regulatory aspect. That's we, we can't even measure its success. Next up on the county's radar, and I think they've already you know, gone about hiring a consultant to, to tackle this, is short-term rentals. Um, yeah, what, what's, your, what's your take on, on the short-term rental situation? You know, do you think they, they have a place in Halliburton County? And if so, you know, do you think they should be better regulated moving forward? Um, short-term rentals, it's a complex issue, of course. It's one of those issues where people buy a property and they need help with it. And that's what our short-term rentals come in. But when you start turning it into a business and it's now a 
commercial business. It's competing with resorts. Um, that hot tub issue with um, that came through it was just ridiculous because here is a resort bringing in money, creating jobs. It's keeping the money in Halliburton or in the township. And we get someone coming in saying, oh, well, now you can't use that hot tub. Whereas a short-term rental has none of, none of the um, bureaucratic um, regulations that they have to follow. Mm-hmm. So someone who is renting out their the short-term rental for set six, eight months out of the year, which they can do right now, um, they have no regulations to follow. They can just do anything they want willy-nilly. So they have a far greater um, advantage than the resorts that have been here for 30, 40 years mm-hmm. and are trying to actually bring jobs to the community and where people were renting beforehand. So from that perspective, we have to make sure that the rentals are, again, short term. If, if they do it for four or five weeks out of the year, I mean, people, people rent their cottages all the time, friends and family. And when you start putting it on Airbnb, it's a business. Or if you start advertising, it's a business. And it should be regulated as a business. So the county, it should be a self-funding business. So any fees raised should go towards any bylaw officer or whatever for that. Any permits um, or licenses, those should be going towards. And it should be self-funding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to say, no, we can't do it. But um, if, if you're going to do it, you've got to be inspected. I mean, there's fire hazard, parking hazard. Your septic should be done at yearly because it's going to be used far more than a um, seasonal cottage. Um, that has to be inspected yearly. And... That co- that that needs a person that that's a staff member that's going to be doing that so that has, you have to fund that somehow so that's where the it would be self funding from that perspective I would hope um, I at the moment I'm not sure why the county is doing that because each lower tier should be putting in their own um, short term rentals because again each area is unique some have more possibilities some have less and a Halliburton County solution may not be the best solution for the lower tiers. So they should be looking at their own solution. But then again, you have certain dominant personalities controlling the, the Halliburton County, and that's where everything's getting done right now. And looking maybe more more bigger picture, more long-term, you know, what would your vision be for, for Algonquin Highlands, you know, for as a community where it can go over the next maybe 10-year period? Well, right now in Algonquin Highlands, it's a blank slate because, as I was saying, there's minimal infrastructure, um, there's minimal industry there's we can take it in whatever direction we want we just have to have the vision and willpower to move it that direction um they like the trees there are lots of trees um, but trees only do so much and eventually they have they're going to be replaced i mean you can only cut down so many trees before you have to wait 50 years and replant and until the next next batch so what do we do in between so again a blank slate one of the um, things I want to look into is bringing or wiring the Algonquin Highlands for digital infrastructure because people say it's too expensive, but there's subsidies out there. The federal government has it. The uh, provincial government has subsidies. And again, if you don't know, you can't say yes or no to it. But if um, you may recall um, co-ops, um, I have rel- um, relatives that came from the prairies yeah. and they have huge grain co-ops and Community-owned organizations where all the profits get funded back into the community. Mm -hmm. And they were huge back in the um, early part of the century because no one wanted to go there because it wasn't profitable. And if it's not profitable, business won't go there. And one of the current trends, for at least for the internet stuff, is we have people saying, oh, we're not putting any, we have bells saying, we're not putting any more people in that tower. So people don't have internet. I don't have internet where I am. Um, The DSL is 
no longer available. So it's going to cost me a couple, you can do the Starlink or, or routers. It's, it's very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. So, and again, with COVID and the pandemic, that changed everything. People want to work remotely now. People want to work a business from home. So if I could do that from work, from anywhere, I need digital. I need infrastructure. So let's um, look at it. We have, if there's a hydro pole, you can run a cable. You can run a wire there. And what is, I did some preliminary research and they said something like $27,000 a kilometer for fiber. Okay, so if you take the uh, number of, of roads that Algonquin uh, Highlands has, they have 174 kilometers of roads, so that's around $8 million. But if it's subsidized by the province and the feds and it's down to a reasonable cost, I mean, we own an airport that we're subsidizing every flight. <laughs> so, I mean, if we can own an airport, why can't you own the digital infrastructure that actually everyone is using? Yeah. And then, of course, that's 20, 30 years that the infrastructure will be in place that you're paying it off over. Um, people are paying a monthly fee to get onto it. So the profits come back into it. So it would pay for itself. Mm-hmm. So the, like I said, that's the type of vision you need, because if you can get the, the infrastructure there, you can build from there. Um, during the pandemic, were, were kids able to learn from, from their um, residences on the um, internet they had? It was a pain. Um, once you go to high-speed internet, you can't do the, the slow stuff. And to me, slow is 50 or less. Mm-hmm. When you have gigabit ethernet on somewhere else, it's like, wow, I, I can't stream that movie right now. Mm-hmm. It makes a huge difference. So that's, if you're working from a blank slate, you start bringing that in and people will start coming. They'll start building because it's like, okay, I have what I need. I can actually start my business here and work here. I can start bringing in, um, doing more work from there remotely. And then as well, the vision aspect, if you start opening up 35 for business, if um, if you've ever done the drive into Halliburton mm-hmm. and the Minden and then driven through Algonquin Highlands, it's totally different perspective because there are minimal businesses along 35. And you could open that up again. It wouldn't um, affect the lakes and the the environment too much. You do it properly, of course. But we need a a type of infra- not infrastructure. We need a type of community like Minden and Halliburton have, where we have a community that um, Dorset is small. If when you've gone through there, it has a lot of everything you need, but it's not the size of. Halliburton or Minden, it's mm-hmm. Oxton Lake is well, very very small again as well, and Carnarvon. Well, most Carnarvons in Minden. Yeah. So what do we? Uh, where can we start putting the businesses? If we just wait for those areas, there's so much underutilized space. Let's start taking advantage of it. Again, that, that's where the vision comes in. Can we do it? Mm-hmm. If we let, if we say, okay, developers, what can you do with this? We'll get some ideas. Mm-hmm. And we don't have all the ideas, but people have to bring the ideas to us so that we can say, hey, that's a great idea. And the more ideas you get, things happen. So a bit of a scattered question here. You know, one of the things I've heard, certainly since I started working in Halliburton County uh, a little under two years ago, is, you know, this, um, this fear almost from people who live here that, Halliburton County is almost positioning itself to become the next Muskoka. And there's a, you know, definitely a deep desire, I think, from the community to maintain everything that makes up, uh, uh, that makes not only Algonquin Highlands, but Halliburton County unique. How do we go about offsetting 
you know, the, the needs that we have as a community to be able to, you know, be able to grow and be able to provide for, you know, not only for the businesses that are here, but for the businesses that may come in the future with, you know, ensuring that, that we, we, we stay with what we are as a community, as a, you know, destination for people to escape, you know, bigger communities, bigger cities. Well, again, it comes down to vision. We have to know what we want and how to get there. And basically, it, the area will not work without business. It won't work without jobs. It won't work without housing. And when I moved to Canada back in 82, um, the entire, I think, population in Canada was 25 million. We're broaching now 40 million. So it's gone up 15 million people. The population of the GTA has increased significantly, let me put it that way. It has increased significantly since, um, since I moved there. And it's expanding north and further and further and further. Change is inevitable. It's going to happen. But we can control how it's changed and control the effects that's happening. So we, we can do that. But it will happen. We can't stick our head in the sand. We have to adapt it, embrace it, and say, this is how we want it. So we, um, if you control it, it's, it will stay what you want. But um, for the Muskoka, that's just be, that was the first place. I mean, if you look at cottage prices now, we are the new Muskoka. Nothing is affordable anymore. When I moved here 11 years ago, that's what we could afford. It was very affordable. Um, it's gone up almost fivefold now. And it's not affordable now. So it's already at that point. And to be honest, I was looking at places. Um, the least expensive place in Halberton County right now, I think, for two plus bedrooms is $400,000. That's not affordable. So we've moved beyond. We're, we're reaching into the Muskoka area because we're similar to Bracebridge, similar to Hunts, but they got the they got the supply. We don't even have a supply here. Right. So should you be successful in your bid, become mayor uh, for Algonquin Highlands? One of the first priorities, one of the first things that's going to come towards the new council is uh, the 2023 budget. What would be your your priorities heading into those uh, deliberations in terms of um, you know projects or where you'd like to allocate funds? Um, I'm always very conservative when it comes to um, jumping into things. I like to make sure I see what's happening first, get the lay of the land, find out what's working, what's not working. The first budget will probably be very similar to the previous ones. And I mean, that's you got a four year term. The second and third year will be very high, and the fourth year will be a more of an election budget, as always. That's how it always works when you do these things. But you have to step back and actually look line by line, saying what's working, what's not working, and why are we doing this? Is there an obligation? Is it working? The airport's a great example. Um, they've had 12 years to start fixing that and get it to work. It's not working. Mm. So yeah, we got to fund it the next year, but then look at why is it not working and okay, are we ready to divest of it? If it's not working, is there any more subsidies available for it? Well, why should the taxpayers start subsidizing something? I, mean, I still haven't found it. I'd like to find the actual cost per landing or in takeoff. Because if we're handing someone $100 every time the, the wheels touch the ground and another $100 every time they take off, why are we doing that? We have to look at that and just start focusing again on the core services. And a lot of, it's called mission creep, where it's like, oh, that's a great idea. But are we required to do it? Is it mandated? Who else can do it? And a lot of people, when they get comfortable with positions, start the mission creep. And a new look, a new focus, uh, again, when you look at it from the outside, you can see why we, again, it's always asking, why are we doing that? And when you get 
in the position for too long, you start losing the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. And that goes. I'm a firm believer in term limits. I think every council should be turned over at least every four, every twice as good. You can accomplish quite a bit. But if you have new people in every couple of years, or every just a new person, new body, every every council session, they ask questions. It's not like, oh, we're doing that because it's always been done that way. But why are we doing that way? It's costing us this amount of money, and we can do something better with that. Fresh eyes get a, a new perspective. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, you learn the budget, and then the second year is when you can start really directing things and focusing on why. Sure. Okay. Right, I think we've covered a wide scope of uh, wide scope of things here, Mike. Uh, final thoughts? Anything that we haven't had an opportunity to touch on that you wanted to to, to put out there? No, it's been an eye-opening experience. It's um, it's been interesting. Uh, I've learned a lot. Let's put it that way from running, and um, I, I can't really say uh, the, the, all the topics that are coming through that people are talking to me about. I've been getting quite a bit of contact through my website, and I've responded to everyone. And a lot of people are just—they're asking why. That's uh, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And it comes down to the transparency aspect. The, the communications program, the Algonquin Highlands has started a new communications program in the last couple of months. That the bang, bang the table? Uh, no, they, um, I think they received a report in August about a communications how to report stuff. And they're st- actually starting to get the information out there better, mm. like on their websites yeah. and uh, the social media. It, it comes down to if you keep the people informed, the issues go away. Because it's all about transparency. I mean, mm-hmm. we ha- we're in an era now where we can say, okay, this is what's happening, folks. Any questions, let us know. And one of the things I plan on doing, I do right now, I do a live stream every um, twice a week right now. Mm-hmm. I'm getting some good results. Come, people are asking me questions because they can talk to me in real time and mm-hmm. it works. And if, as mayor, I probably continue to do that once a month so people can actually say, okay, well, what's happening? They, any questions they have, they can do that because it's so easy to... to, to talk to the people they can talk to me from anywhere mm-hmm. and the live streaming has been very helpful for me to, to reach out to people and just to clarify that point again i know this was what we touched on right at the very beginning but uh you are a seasonal resident right now but the plan is you know yeah. you'll be moving up here in, in november if you are successful my goal was when i was i was going to work 35 years for the government but and i have to do some renovations but once i can get the renovations you can't live there in a three-season cottage <laughs> it's a little cold but um, yeah, so the plan was to uh, move when I was retired. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I want to become more active in the community. I have the time now. Perfect. And uh, when I retire, I will be a full-time mayor. Great. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again for your yeah. time uh, today, you Mike. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. What Are We Doing is a podcast produced by Justin Van Leishout in partnership with The Highlander. Reporters working on this project include me, Sam Gillett, our editor, Lisa Gervais, and Mike Baker. Be sure to follow along as we cover candidates in your riding, as well as everyone running for election across Halliburton County. Music in this episode is from Kashaga, and our cover art is from Jason Yates, who can be found on Instagram at jy.inc.